Welcome to This Week in the History of Psychology for January 14th to 20th. This is your host, Christopher Green of York University in Toronto, Canada. In this episode, we'll first briefly take a look at some of the most important events that happened during this week in psychology's past. Then we'll have our feature interview with Professor C. James Goodwin on the founding of E.B. Titchener's Society of Experimentalists. Finally, we'll celebrate the birthdays of some important psychologists. All this and more on this installment of This Week in the History of Psychology. First, for January 15th, in 1904, the journal Psychological Bulletin began publication under the editorship of James Mark Baldwin and Howard C. Warren. This journal and others were transferred by Warren to the American Psychological Association between 1925 and 1938. Also on January 15th, in 1957, Corbett Thigpen and Harry Cleckley's book Three Faces of Eve was published. This famous story of multiple personality was later made into a motion picture. For January 17th, in 1909, Sigmund Freud wrote to Carl Jung, predicting that once Americans discover the sexual core of our psychological theories, they will drop us. Their prudery and their material dependence on the public are too great. On January 19th, Jung wrote back, I have noticed this prudishness, which used to be worse than it is now. Now I can stomach it. For January 18th, in 1892, Clark University professor Edmund Clark Sanford published his textbook, Laboratory Course in Psychology. The book had begun as a series of articles published in American Journal of Psychology in the early 1890s. For January 19th, in 1870, Edward Hitzig presented the first account of electrical stimulation of the human brain in a report to the Medical Society of Berlin. Hitzig induced eye movements through brain stimulation. And also, for January 19th, in 1952, the first human test of the antipsychotic drug chlorpromazine, better known by its trade name Thorazine, was conducted on a manic patient at the Val de Grasse Military Hospital in Paris by Joseph Hammond. Chlorpromazine was first developed as an antihistamine, but was later adopted widely as an antipsychotic. And also on January 19th, in 1973, David Rosenhan's article on being sane in insane places was published in Science. Rosenhan and seven others gained admission to mental hospitals by imitating schizophrenic behavior. Once admitted, they resumed normal behavior but found that the staff did not recognize their sanity. For January 20th. In 1843, the British mechanic named Daniel Monoton shot Edmund Drummond, private secretary of Prime Minister Sir Robert Peel. Monoton was later acquitted of murder because it was judged that his paranoid mental condition rendered him incapable of judging right from wrong. The Monoton rule is a landmark precedent in the modern insanity defense. And finally, also on January 20th, in 1975, the Journal of Experimental Psychology split into two journals, one subtitled Human Perception and Performance, and the other subtitled Human Learning and Memory.
On January 15, 1904, the Cornell psychologist Edward Bradford Titchener sent invitations to a number of psychologists to a meeting of what he called an American Society for the Advancement of Experimental Psychology. Even then, scientists like Titchener believed that the American Psychological Association had become too wedded to the promotion of applied psychology. The turnout for Titchener's new group of experimentalists was good, so good that it continues to this day as the Society of Experimental Psychologists. On the phone to talk to us about Titchener's group is Dr. C. James Goodwin of Western Carolina University. Professor Goodwin is the author of various textbooks, as well as two articles on Titchener's experimentalists, one appearing in 1985 in the Journal of the History of Behavioral Sciences, the other in the journal History of Psychology in 2005. Professor Goodwin... Could you give us a little background on Titchener? Uh, he was British by birth and trained in Germany. Uh, how and why did he come to the United States? Well, it, as you said, he, uh, he was born in 1867 and died in 1927. Uh, uh, had a degree from Oxford in 1890, and then two years later a PhD from Leipzig. And then he had a choice, actually. He could have returned to Oxford, but they were not going to offer any kind of lab facilities. And so uh, a friend of his who had studied with him at Leipzig, Frank Angel, had come to Cornell in 1891 and was apparently given a fairly generous uh, amount of money to establish the laboratory. But then the next year, uh, this Frank Angel uh, had an opportunity to go west to Stanford, which had just been created, and he took that. And as he was leaving Cornell, he recommended that they uh, approach his friend Titchener from Leipzig. And uh, Titchener was finishing in 1892. Angel was leaving Cornell, and so uh, the opportunity was there. And though it was certainly an interesting risk on the part of Titchener's part. He wasn't quite sure about the reputation of Cornell, but he took the risk and uh, took the took the job, had uh, very good laboratory facilities and, and budget uh, accorded to him, and created an institution at, at Cornell so that by the time Titchener was done, you could say Titchenerian psychology and you could say the Cornell School. Everyone would know that, that it was the same thing. At the time that Titchener set up his group of experimentalists, now this would be, what, a decade and a half after he had um, come to Cornell, right. uh, the American Psychological Association had been in existence for over a decade. Why did he feel it necessary to start up this new group? Well, there, there's apparently several layers of reasons. Partly it was personal. He, he had some difficulty with some of the members of uh, uh, APA. Um, he had uh, desired that APA... Uh, he asked them to censure E.W. Scripture at Yale because uh, uh, Scripture apparently had, uh, in his 1895 uh, Thinking, Feeling, Doing book, had uh, had come close or very close to plagiarizing one of uh, 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 Titchener's translation of Wundt's work. And so he was upset with APA over that reason. But the main thing was that Titchener... Um, uh, Titchener had a very narrow uh, and very tightly uh, defined idea about what uh, psychology should be. It was the psychology of the laboratory. It was focused on um, studying basic human conscious processing. And uh, he felt, for one thing, that APA was much too eclectic in its interests. APA, I suspect, was just trying to get themselves established and, and 
open to a variety of different different ideas. And uh, so for Titchener, the, the APA meetings had too much philosophy in them. It had too much uh, uh, papers on child study or papers on comparative psychology, and 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 so the the programs were much too eclectic. And the nature of the program itself, Titchener thought, was much too formal. He didn't like the idea of uh, people sitting in a room listening to someone talk and read a paper for 20 minutes. And Titchener's idea was that it would it would advance the science more if you had a small group of like-minded people who could get together and discuss cutting-edge research. They, they would discuss their research in progress and, uh, and advance the science that way. He thought that would be a much uh, more efficient way of, uh, uh, of doing it. He, when he formed the group, which was in 1904, he was sensitive to the possibility that uh, this group might interfere with APA, but um, uh, decided to go ahead anyway, he, he, he felt that APA had been reasonably well established up to that point, although when he did send out his initial invitations, about half of the invitees expressed concern over, over APA. But Petitioner felt that he wasn't really creating uh, an alternative formal professional society, that he was just asking a group of like-minded peers to get together once a year. Mm -hmm. and discuss research. Do you know whether uh, Titchener's group actually had an impact on the American Psychological Association membership, or did people who were uh, in both groups just continue to go to both uh, meetings? People tended to stay in both groups. And uh, my, I can remember looking at, uh, at uh, membership lists, uh, APA, over the, uh, over the period of the uh, uh, first decade or so of the 20th century, and my recollection is that uh, there was just a sort of slow and steady growth, and it didn't really have much, uh, didn't have much impact. There were a, a couple of people who, uh, well, Howard Warren, for example, at Princeton, stayed away from the experimentalists for the first three years because he thought that the group might disrupt APA. But after three years, he started coming regularly, and, and he at least felt that it wasn't having uh, an adverse impact on, uh, on APA. Well, good. Well, could you tell us a little about um, who Titchener invited to the early meetings and, and what went on at them? What was the character of the group at this time? And, and did it have an impact on the broader discipline? Right. Well, the, the first meeting, uh, which was at Cornell, was mostly people from Cornell. There were about a dozen people there, and, and seven of them were, uh, were, were from Cornell. Titchener, uh, Madison Bantley, another professor, and mostly graduate students. And uh, the other people who came tended to be uh, people from the major universities at the East. So, for example, uh, Charles Judd of Yale was at the first meeting. Leitner Whitmer at Penn, of Penn was at the first meeting. Uh, Edmund Sanford of Clark was there. Uh, Walter Pillsbury came the furthest. He came from Michigan, and he was invited because he had been a Ph.D. student of, of Titchener's. And so that, that, that tended to be... Uh, at least for the first 10 years, there tended to be about a dozen, 15 people uh, at the meetings. And um, I, I can just uh, very quickly, the, the first 10 meetings, the hosts were uh, Titchener at Cornell, Sanford at Clark, Judd at Yale, Whitmer at Penn, Munsterberg at Harvard, Warren at Princeton, Watson at Hop, uh, Johns Hopkins, 
uh, Titchener again at Cornell, and then Baird at, uh, at, at Wellesley. And what they would do is they would get together. These meetings were always in April. They, um, uh, the people would meet for about two weeks. They would sit in a room and um, talk about their research. They would tour. They would also be, there'd always be a tour of the host laboratory. And, and each person would take a turn describing what was going on in their laboratory at the time. Um, another really important uh, part of this in Titchener's mind, at least, was that uh, the people who came always would bring one or maybe two uh, junior faculty or gra graduate students who were uh, exceptionally talented. And, and Titchener saw this as kind of an apprenticeship concept where the youngsters would be brought into the fold of uh, this um, th this idea about psychology needed to focus on basic experimental laboratory laboratory research. So, th so these early meetings, in fact, uh, all the way through Titchener's lifetime, the goal was to have these informal discussions of research and progress. It it's hard to exactly document their impact. Certainly. Uh, I, I can recall seeing a lot of the, the research that they talked about, just judging from their correspondence over the years. Later, these studies would show up in the, in the literature. Um, they also seem to have at least some impact on hiring decisions, because uh, in their correspondence, you would often see after a meeting where they would talk about uh, uh, this position coming open, and this person would be good for it, and that person would be a member of the group or a graduate student, promising graduate student who was a member of the group. One of the consequences of that, and a part of that, uh, I believe, is that um, one somewhat adverse consequence was that uh, the extent to which they did have influence, it had a negative influence on women doing uh, experimental psychology research. And why is that? Women were excluded from the group. And uh, the extent to which hiring decisions were affected by them, women then uh, had uh, were at somewhat of a disadvantage, and uh, uh, so that uh, that's a problem. Were, were any of the notable women of that uh, women experimental psychologists of that time um, aware of this, and did they complain? People like Mary Whitten Hawkins and I guess Margaret Floyd Washburn and Christine Ladd Franklin. Right. Well. Um, Christine Lack Franklin, she, was, she made the most uh, noise about it. She um, uh, uh, very uh, adamantly insisted upon uh, presenting her views to, uh, to the group. She had, uh, she had developed a, uh, an interesting evolutionary model of uh, color perception. She, she, was, she was very prominent in the uh, research on, on visual perception. She had an article published in the very first issue of uh, American Journal of Psychology. And she did manage, she was the only woman who actually managed to um, make a presentation at a, it was at a meeting in 1914, I believe, at Columbia. Uh, her husband was on the faculty there and she had been teaching part-time there. Uh, Margaret Washburn was uh, Titchener's first PhD. And in fact, there's an interesting uh, contrast here because while uh, women were not welcome in the experimentalist group, uh, Titchener had a large number of women earn PhDs from him at, at Cornell. Uh, women, um, a part of school policy, women were uh, uh, were allowed and were and were given uh, opportunities for fellowships. 
And of uh, by in 1904, when Titchener formed the group, by that time he had awarded 11 PhDs, and six of them were women. So uh, women were in his laboratory, and he often um, uh, spoke well of them uh, uh, as experimentalists. But, uh, in the group, in the informal group of uh, that came to be called Titchener's experimentalists, his idea was was more analogous to a to a sort of a British men's club. The notion that uh, the notion was that if you have uh, if you have a group and if it's a mixed group, then men would be obligated to behave as gentlemen. And uh, what Titchener wanted instead was a group that had was more rough and tumble and willing to uh, argue with each other. And uh, there was this, this sort of stereotypical feeling about women that if you attacked their ideas, that they would be quote emotional, and so that it would detract from the uh, from the meeting. So. Uh, Washburn was not invited, even though she was a Titchener uh, PhD. Um, she eventually reorganized after Titchener's death. She became uh, one of the two uh, women who were, uh, were elected to the uh, to the successor to this group. And uh, Lad Franklin was able to attend one meeting. Calkins, uh, by the time by the time the experimentalists were underway, Calkins had already started to make her major shift uh, towards interest in philosophy. And so um, uh, she she was less interested in experimental research, and I think would not have uh, um, participated. Mm-hmm. Well, now Titchener's group continues on today as the Society of Experimental Psychologists. It's a much more formal group than I guess it was in Titchener's time, um, though many psychologists uh, don't seem to even be aware of its existence now. What's its character today, and and does it remain influential? After Titchener died, the group. Um, at first, they decided to disband, and then they decided to reorganize. And in, um, in the late 1920s, this happened, and, the, and they, they, they created a group that's now called the Society of Experimental Psychologists, or SEP. And they have their own, their own website. It's sepsych.org. And they continue to meet annually. Uh, they originally, when they reorganized, they set a membership limit at 50. It was uh, presumably an elite group of experimental psychologists. And uh, it's now up to a bit. There's about 200 members now. They still meet annually. Um, there's uh, women in the group, although uh, they're still underrepresented. They represent about uh, maybe 20% of the uh, of the group, if you go to their website, they post photos of their recent meetings, and they still have um, about uh, maybe 30, 40 people who show up every year, and they they they're still relatively informal, although they post programs and it looks like they read papers. They um, uh, so they still exist. I, I I don't think they have a great deal of impact. They on psychology today, except in the sense that uh, for an experimental psychologist, it is. Uh, a point of uh, prestige, I guess, to be uh, elected to this group. 
All right. Well, thank you very much. We have been speaking to Dr. C. James Goodwin of Western Carolina University. Professor Goodwin is the author of various textbooks, as well as uh, two articles on Titchener's experimentalists. Uh, the first one in 1985 was published in the Journal of the History of Behavioral Sciences, and it is called On the Origins of Titchener's Experimentalists. The second one, published in 2005 in History of Psychology, is titled Reorganizing the Experimentalists, the Origins of the Society of Experimental Psychologists. And now it's time for birthdays. Uh, first, for January 14th in 1847, Johannes Orth was born. Orth was the founder of the Würzburg School, which stressed the obscure, imageless nature of thought and conscious processes. For January 15th, in 1842, Joseph Breuer was born. Breuer was Freud's first collaborator and helped to develop the methods of free association and emotional catharsis. Also on January 15th, in 1877, Louis M. Terman was born. Terman was a student of G. Stanley Hall, and he developed the Stanford revision of the Binet-Simon intelligence test in 1916. Terman was president of the American Psychological Association in 1923. For January 16th, in 1838, Franz Brentano was born. Brentano's psychology, essentially a rational analysis of the mind's activities while experiencing external events, provided an alternative to the content psychology of Wilhelm Wundt and to physiological reductionism. Also on January 16th, in 1928, Jack Brehm was born. Brehm's reactance theory describes human and animal responses to events that threaten or eliminate behavioral choices. For January 19th, in 1842, George Trumbull Ladd was born. Ladd's Elements of Physiological Psychology was the first book in English on the subject. Ladd was a founder of the American Psychological Association and served as its president in 1893. And finally, for January 20th, in 1857, Vladimir Bektorev was born. Bektorev brought extensive study of the nervous system to bear on an understanding of the conditioned response. That's it for this episode of This Week in the History of Psychology. We would love to hear your comments on the show. You can email us at twithop, that's the initials of This Week in the History of Psychology, T-W-I-T-H-O-P, at yorku, Y-O-R-K-U, dot C-A. We would like to thank York University for hosting the program, as well as Michael Guimar for his technical assistance, and especially Warren Street and the American Psychological Association for their website, Today in the History of Psychology, which we use for research and from which we sometimes quote directly. This Week in the History of Psychology is the sole property of Christopher Green. The opinions expressed on This Week in the History of Psychology are not necessarily those of Christopher Green or of York University. Music